Good morning, I think it still is. It's good to be here with all of you. And uh, ah, what a great song to lead into our testimonies. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come here today in a fallen world with ungodliness and unrighteousness running rampant in our society, suppression of the truth normal, futile thinking and foolishness at every turn, people with dishonorable passions, people taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. So much teaching in our world encourages selfishness, pride, arrogance, and deception, and we have come to times of difficulty. We see the carnage of these worldly philosophies everywhere. And Lord, we are tempted at times to despair, but then we remember who you are, that you are the sovereign, wise, and good, holy God, creator of all, who holds all things in your hand and works all things according to the counsel of your will. In this world of deception, we are so thankful that you have given us your word, breathed out by you, living and active, sufficient for life and godliness. We pray today that your word would be our destination as we search for truth and the means to help those who are suffering. In your holy name, amen. When you want to help someone who is hurting, where are you going to look to find that help? You're confronted with a hurting person. Where are you going to look? What source will help you understand the nature of being human or the reasons for suffering and evil and the response one should have when trials come? Where do you look to gain the necessary knowledge to feel competent to help others? We live in a culture immersed in the theories of psychology. When a person hears the word counseling, when you hear the word counseling, what do you, what do you think of? You, you think of what a psychologist does, right? Most people think of psychology as a medical discipline that has answers to the questions of how to help troubled people. When confronted with hurting people, many pastors refer to psychologists rather than doing the counseling themselves. Psychology, what, what does the word mean literally? You know, what, you know what the root word psyche means? It means soul. That Greek word means soul. So literally, ology, logos, psychology is literally the study of the soul. The study of the soul. Just think about that for a minute when you hear the word psychology. Well, Teresa and I have spent a lot of time in the realm of psychology. As we look to encourage you that you yourselves can counsel people, we want to tell you our stories and where we are today, and we pray that you will benefit from that experience. My wife, Teresa. Okay. So in the late 1980s and early 90s, when I was a young nurse, I had decided after a couple years of regular nursing that I wanted to enter the field of psychiatric nursing. It's not surprising that I chose that. When I went to college to become a nurse, 
I really loved my required psychology classes, and in fact, I even took two extra classes as my electives. And I was also one of those rare students who actually worked hard at and enjoyed my two philosophy classes. I spent a lot of time on those classes, and for a nursing student, that probably wasn't the wisest choice. I should have been working harder on anatomy, physiology, biology. <laughs> I was kind of the opposite of Dave, as you'll find out. But I wanted to know about life and about meaning and about people. I just really actually enjoyed studying the inner man more than the outer man. I was interested in the big questions of life. I wanted to get a job when I was done, so that's why I went into nursing. <laughs> so <laughs> in case you're wondering, yeah. Why were you in nursing? Oh, so I did get a job. Is man inherently good or evil? These are some of my questions. Does God exist? And if so, who is he? What do people need and how do we help him? What is the right way to live? It's probably obvious from those questions that I wasn't a believer. I was searching. I guess I turned to psychology and philosophy because at least they seem to address those questions. You see, I was raised in a Catholic home and we did all the rituals, but I had no knowledge of Christ or the Bible. Religion to me was simply a set of rules to follow in order to be good, but it didn't really explain anything. Even after college, after I met Dave, even, I was really into wanting to learn more about psychology. I read tons of books, went to the bookstore, bought them, studied them. I went to psychotherapy, paid money for that even. I was involved with 12-step support groups, and I wasn't addicted to anything. <laughs> I was still searching for answers to these same questions, and I still hadn't found what I was looking for. To be honest, I was a pretty well-functioning func person, and I wasn't particularly depressed. I didn't really have any major difficulties with life. Oh, I was lost and selfish and sinful, but generally speaking, I had no major difficulties. I had decided not to be Catholic anymore, so I was basically searching for spiritual answers. The world of work, and living on my own in a big city, far from family, and not knowing the Lord turned out to be hard and lonely. I really didn't know how I was supposed to live. Can every person just do what they think is right? What are the true answers? I thought the answers lie in the field of psychology. When I went to the therapist, I'm certain she couldn't in good conscience have given me any kind of diagnosis. As I said, I didn't really have any symptoms, just questions. I guess I was looking for discipling, what to think, what to believe. Her name was Eleanor, and she considered herself a Jungian therapist after the famous Carl Jung. She was willing to teach me her thoughts for as long as I was willing to pay for them. <laughs> and I did for about a year. She taught me things like balancing your yin and your yang. This was based on ancient Chinese philosophy, and it says we all have two different components within that are opposite, like male-female, light-dark, good-bad, 
and we need to keep these in balance. Yeah, <laughs> I know. She gave me books on it. I never really understood it, but she was a counselor. She obviously knew what she was talking about. At one point, she thought it would be beneficial for me to attend a weekend of renewal, kind of a therapy weekend camp. And it was run by another therapist whose favorite theory was more in line with rational emotive therapy. It's an early version of CBT, or cognitive behavioral therapy, if you've ever heard of that. It's popular today. It actually makes a lot more sense, especially to us Western thinkers. The idea is that your thoughts determine how you feel and how you behave. Perhaps it makes sense because that basic idea is biblical. Renewing your mind, put off and put on. That's what scripture tells us. Well, we'll see in a minute how that diverges quickly from biblical teaching, the CBT version. <laughs> so I moved away from the more Eastern-based religious teaching that was taught to me in therapy and toward this more rational thinking type of psychology since it made more sense. So answers to life's questions and problems lie in the right kinds of psychology. So then I went into the field of psychiatric nursing. I worked in an alcohol and drug treatment facility for a while, and then I, Dave and I got married. We wound up moving to Laramie, Wyoming, and I worked in the psychiatric unit of a hospital for about, well, first for six months, just as a regular nurse there in the psychiatric unit, and then I became the nurse manager of the unit. Um, most of the patients were depressed, anxious, had suicidal thoughts. We had a variety of um, different ways that people suffered. And what did we offer them? Well, different staff had different things to offer them depending on their own theories and what they ascribed to. Oh, I love how J.O. reminded me in the movie that, yeah, I, I forgot about that till he was telling about the movie, the, the therapeutic environment. We called it the therapeutic milieu. Yeah, that was huge. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, just, it just kind of like, like, church, like you want fellowship and, you know, bear your soul and, you know, safety and all that. So, um, but they would see a psychiatrist, um, and they were put on a medication, some of it very heavy-duty medication. The staff psychologist took her handy DSM, that's um, psychology's book of diagnoses that continually updates and adds and subtracts diagnoses to fit with what the culture says is normal. She used this book and looked for their symptoms and then would give them a diagnosis that they would likely hang on to for the rest of their lives. The nurses, techs, and social workers all offered whatever advice or soul care that we thought would be good for them. Some of it may have been good advice. Um, many of the patients were hospitalized on our unit over and over again. Then after a couple years, I decided to get a master's degree to become a clinical specialist in psychiatric nursing. I think I liked how it sounded. <laughs> and yes, I did my master's thesis on pet therapy. Hey, dog lovers will agree that this is real. I know. <laughs> 
I'm looking for Hannah. There she is. I wanted her. I was hearing an amen, wasn't I? <laughs> uh, so what I learned from working in this field, inpatient, outpatient, even taught it at a university, was there was absolutely no consistency in how professionals in the field cared for hurting people. I tried to understand which psychological approach or theory that different counselors, whether they were licensed professional counselors, social workers, psychologists, or psychiatrists, it didn't matter. Everyone seemed to have their favorite therapy or psychological theory to model after, or they just did what they liked, whatever they thought was important. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And of course, different psychological theories come into more popularity and fashion. So what I learned from my time in the field of psychology was that there was no unified approach. There is no agreed upon theory. People would ask me, are you going to set up a counseling practice? Even after getting a master's degree in mental health nursing, I would answer, I would have no idea how to counsel. Anyway, fast forward a few more years, and after Dave and I had a couple kids, moved to Rapid City, the Lord, by his grace and mercy, saved me. I know I can feel you all going, oh. <laughs> I was invited to Bible Study Fellowship, and there, studying the Bible, God opened my eyes to see that this was where truth was found. I saw the glory of God that Kyle talked about last night. I couldn't help it, but I began to sob and I couldn't turn off the tears. It was like I had been on this long journey searching for truth. And here it was, it was true. I was a sinner. It was true that Christ saved me and all the details we need to know are revealed to us in this book. I needed to look nowhere else. Well, there was lots of work to do in learning about God and scripture, but it became clear to me very early on after studying the Bible that what I was learning from scripture was mostly contrary to what I learned from the various teachings of psychology. Things like focus on your you and your needs was replaced with the biblical truth, love God and others and die to yourself. In psychology's view, do what seems right and pleasing to you was rep replaced with the biblical reality that my thoughts are not the same as God's thoughts. Psychology's view that we need to get rid of your guilt that's unhealthy to feel guilty was replaced with the biblical teaching that our guilt is a fact, but we can turn to Christ in repentance and faith and he cleanses us. And very quickly, I developed the opinion that psychology was deception to me. I'm not saying that there aren't well-meaning people in the psychology field, but it did not offer me truth. Not unlike Socrates, it was taking man's answers, man's thoughts to answer man's soul problems instead of turning to what God says about those soul problems. I wanted nothing to do with it anymore. Now, there are some interesting observations that psychology makes, but at the end of the day, it does not answer those big questions of purpose and meaning I mentioned earlier. Like the, but the theory of cognitive behavioral therapy, 
which is popular and does have some biblical truth in it, your thinking does affect your emotions and behavior. However, the problem with CBT is who determines what bad thinking is and who determines what right thinking is. For example, let's say that you have a counselee who says, I'm a boy trapped in a girl's body. Is this true or not true? What source will you turn to and how will you know if it's true or not? Psychology in general will tell you if you think that it is true, then it is true. If I think that you think you are a boy trapped in a girl's body, I can counsel you with the goal of helping to affirm you in your belief so that you don't have to deal with this turmoil in your soul anymore. CBT might tell you that you need to affirm yourself in what you believe is true. This will remedy your emotions and your behaviors. We want you to feel better about yourself, to be happy, and you deserve to be what you are meant to be. Surgery can fix you. What if, on the other hand, the Bible is your source for caring for this person? You would be turning to Genesis 1 and 2 to see the truth of how God created you. And Isaiah 55, 8, God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You see, the huge difference with biblical counseling is that God's word tells you what you should be thinking, and you are to repent of thinking unbiblically and think according to God's word. As I hope you can see, psychology is religious in essence. It is soul care. It attempts to answer the questions of life that are found in scripture, but with the empty philosophies of this world. It can make some good and accurate observations and approach things partially in a biblical way, but it takes answers from whatever worldview that particular person is held captive by. In some cases, it makes right observations, and in some cases, correct half-biblical approaches, but with very wrong remedies. So when a person refers out to the professionals, even if that professional is a Christian, the fact is, you do not know what philosophy they will be counseling them with. And if they take some of these theories, holding the belief that the Bible doesn't address that issue, so then they need to turn to one of these worldly philosophies, then that is what they are offering you, offering as soul care for that person. The theories are looking to treat the inner functioning of man apart from God and his word. So back to my story. So I was saved. I knew truth was found in scripture. I knew answer to man's, answers to man's problems were not found in psychology, but were found in knowing Christ. But there was much growth needed in knowing and understanding God's word. And this, of course, is very important. The Lord was so kind as to grow us and teach us through the study of his word and the teaching that we received from the churches that we were a part of. However, in God's kindness in 2013, we came to Southern Hills and were privileged to be taught here. And we really began to grow under the solid and faithful preaching and teaching here. It was here that we were introduced to biblical counseling. So in 2017, we started the Masters in Biblical Counseling program at Masters University. So now God taught us more 
and in intense fashion. But learning more about God's word, how to correctly interpret it, how to apply it to hurting people has been the best thing we've ever studied. What a privilege. So let's return to the questions that I was asking when I was looking to psychology for the answers. Question, is man inherently good or evil? Psychology says that man is basically good and the goal is to help him in becoming better and happier. In contrast, the Bible says man is inherently evil and the goal is to glorify God by turning from your sin into Christ and become more like him. Question, does God exist? And if so, who is he? Psychology says you are your own God. You decide what is true for you and what you need to make you happy. The Bible says that God is the creator and sustainer of all. All things are from him, to him, and through him. To him be the glory forever. Romans 11:36. Question, what do people need and how do we help them? Psychology says people need to be affirmed, get their needs met, and be happy. The Bible says people need to repent of wanting their own glory and love him who deserves all the glory. Question, what is the right way to live? Psychology says, you do you. The Bible says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. So why am I telling you all of this story? <laughs> well, as Dave said, we live in a culture where psychology is the standard for the care of souls. I am telling you from my experience, I lived in the world, I studied it, worked in it, taught it. It does not have the answers to the problems that plague people's souls. The answers are in scripture. So you don't need a psychology or a counseling degree to help people. It requires the consistent study and growth in the knowledge and application of scripture. So helping hurting people, and they're all around us in our churches, is something you can do too. As you devote yourself to the study of God's word by attending a church devoted to the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word, studying the word on your own with tools available to you from your faithful church, attending Bible studies, which are faithfully taught, and getting discipled by someone who's a little farther down the path than you, you are getting equipped to counsel or disciple or help others. If you choose to get certified, that's wonderful, and the ACBC certification process is a great way to help ensure that you would be correctly handling the Word of God as a counselor and to help train you with applying God's Word to unique individuals. So either way, certification or not, studying scripture and accurately interpreting it in order to understand the author's intent and then applying it to your own life will help you to help others and give them true hope. For God says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is sufficient in all matters pertaining to salvation and in godly living.
study it, grow in it, help people with it, and like that nursing student from long ago, look no further than the Word of God. I'm a physician, kind of the classic doctor-nurse sort of couple here. <laughs> and I was actually 16 when I decided to pursue a career in medicine. Like most such decisions, my reasons were varied, but if you asked me, I probably would have given the old cliche reason, I want to help people. I love the idea of having the expertise and knowledge to help hurting people. Medicine, of course, is very science-based, and I was excited about that, unlike her. And I've loved science for as long as I can remember. I entered medical school excited about learning the facts, the truths, if you will, that would allow me to relieve suffering and help my fellow man. I grew up in a home where the theories of psychology were prominent. My mom actually had a psychology degree. And I remember them reading Eric Burns' famous book, I'm Okay, You're Okay, if you've ever seen that, or my mom talking about Dr. Spock uh, for parenting advice. And psychological theories were spoken about as fact in my home, and they were prominent in the treatment of my dad's alcoholism. So I went to medical school actually kind of excited to learn more about such theories. Well, medical school is hard, and uh, I was presented with an incredible amount of information. And I, I noticed there an interesting phenomenon. When I, when I studied complicated systems in something like biochemistry, take the Krebs cycle for, for example, it was intimidating, if, if you know what that is, it was intimidating and time consuming to learn. But as I applied myself to its study, the logic and beauty of its design was revealed to me. And as I understood that system, the Krebs cycle, I saw how it integrated into other complicated systems that all work together in an almost unfathomable way to create what we know as a living person. <laughs> I was just, I was blown away by the organization and the genius of it. I was immediately suspicious of another theory I was being taught, evolution, but that's a subject for another day. At the same time, I was learning psychological theories. Abraham Maslow's self-actualization pyramid comes to mind. I studied these theories with an open mind, if anything, a bias towards them based on my upbringing. But in studying them, I did not have the same amazement in the discovery of their details. At some level, they made logical sense, but they seemed rather shallow compared to the biochemical and other hard science principles I was learning. And the different systems didn't seem to have any, any integration at all. The theories of Freud, Maslow, etc actually seemed to be the opposite. They were often contradictory and opposing each other. The more I studied psychology, the more I studied psychology, the more confused I got. This was in sharp contrast to areas like biochemistry. I quickly ruled out psychiatry as a choice for specialty. <laughs> I graduated and started a residency in family medicine. To my surprise, much of what we deal with in family medicine overlaps with psychiatry. When people are suffering with soul problems, what the world calls mental illness, where do they look for truth and answers? What do you think? Well, given the way current people think, they come to me. 
They see it as an illness, implied in that term mental illness. Who do you go see when you have an illness? Your doctor, of course. Most people are not anxious to go off and see a psychiatrist. I'm not that crazy, most would say. <laughs> so they come to see me, their family doctor, with whom they have a relationship already. So, although I hadn't chosen the mental illness specialty per se, I found myself encountering many patients who had psychological complaints. People were coming with anxiety and depression and marriage problems and anger problems, all kinds of things. And they were thinking that I had answers for them. I'm a doctor after all, and as we know, doctors know everything. Well, needless to say, I did not know what to do with these problems. The last place I or my patients thought of was turning, or to turning to was the Bible. So I went back to my old friend psychology looking for answers, hoping to have more luck than I had in medical school. And it was here that I found a book that had answers, or at least appeared to have answers, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatry, the DSM, if you've heard of that. Here I found the very disorders I was encountering clearly laid out with diagnostic criteria. Hallelujah! I had found what I was looking for. I looked up anxiety, a common complaint, and I found generalized anxiety disorder. I liked how the term sounded official. It sounded like I really knew something when I told the patient they had it. I noticed the criteria seemed somewhat subjective, but that didn't really deter me to begin with. It seemed to me that I had found the answer I was looking for. The problem came when I then looked how to treat this illness. With diabetes or heart disease, it's, it's pretty clear what types of treatments are indicated. But surprisingly, the DSM had no answers. In fact, it is only a diagnostic manual. So after successfully impressing my patient with a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder, I didn't figure out how to treat them. Well, it's 1988, a new drug called Prozac had just come on the market and was being touted as a great advance in the treatment of anxiety and depression. And I found myself with a choice. I could spend an hour or two doing counseling, using the theories of Freud, Maslow, etc., or I could spend a minute or two prescribing this new drug. Needless to say, I chose prescribing. It was effective, time efficient, and it gave me something tangible with which to treat my patient. I should mention that is pretty much how doctors, psychiatrists included, treat these conditions today. Although they certainly have a lot more drugs to choose from than they did in 1988. But something in me knew I was missing the mark. These patients didn't need a drug to make them feel better. They needed answers to the questions that plagued them. Questions that naturally flow out of suffering. Does God exist? And if so, who is he? Why am I suffering? What's the right way to respond to my suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people anyway? You might notice that these questions are inherently religious. They are questions of the soul, the psyche. They, they deal with the basic ways we view man, evil, suffering, and the meaning of life. Well, I was faithfully looking for answers to such questions in the source that I had been taught to look in the realms of psychology. 
But I wasn't finding any consistent answers that rang of anything that seemed to be true. So in 1997, I began practicing family medicine in Rapid City, and that's where I still work today. So for 24 years, I've been daily seeing patients with every type of problem imaginable, and indeed, depression and especially anxiety have been very common complaints. I was prescribing a lot of antidepressants and found these drugs do in fact relieve suffering. But the deeper questions, for the most part, remained unaddressed as I just did not answer them. One thing was clear, the DSM and the psych psychological field it represents did not have good answers to those deep soul questions that I and my patients were asking. I have found that people who are struggling with a mental illness are typically not, in fact, struggling with an illness. At least not an illness similar to diseases like diabetes or cancer. Rather, most often people are experiencing a normal reaction to sin or to traumatic events in their lives. And labeling the problem an illness and prescribing a drug is, in the big picture, not only particularly helpful, but is often distracting them from dealing with the trauma or changing the immoral behavior that is causing the upset. Practicing family medicine means you get to know people very well over time, and sometimes they share things with you that they have never told anyone else. A vivid example evolved a middle-aged lady who came in quite anxious and distressed, looking for relief. What was the source of her distress? She revealed to me, and she'd never told anyone this before, that she had had an affair that had occurred some 20 years prior. She had otherwise been faithful, but she had never told her husband. Even after all that time, she continued to be racked with guilt that spilled over into crushing anxiety. If you were me, what would you do? If you were her friend and she confided in you, how would you counsel her? I had a few options available to, to try to help her. One was medication. This would likely ease her suffering somewhat but would leave the root cause unaddressed. I could refer her to secular counseling. Here she would get unbiblical counsel that again might make her feel better, not gonna address her true soul problem. What did she need? Would I find the answer she needed in the pages of the DSM? If I told her she had generalized anxiety disorder or panic disorder, would that be helpful to her? Would such a diagnosis get her closer or farther away from what she really needed? I think it's clear that such a diagnosis would not be helpful for this woman. It would give her an impressive clinical sounding diagnosis and she might be satisfied with that, but it would be light years away from the true healing of the soul that she so desperately needed. Well, if the DSM, the Bible of psychiatry, does not have the solutions to my patient's problems, well then, where can such answers be found? How can I help my patients deal with all these painful and traumatic things that are happening to them? Well, here we might, I might point out that I'm in the same place that maybe some of you are. How do we help people live in a fallen world? A world where sin and its terrible consequences are not only accepted, but celebrated. A world where suffering is so common. Where does one find true answers 
for questions of the soul. Well, fast forward to 2013, when our, then, when our then pastor J.O., yes, this J.O., sitting here, put two words together, biblical and counseling. Sounded like an oxymoron to me. These two words did not belong together. I knew what counseling was, and it certainly did not have anything to do with the Bible. I remember thinking it seemed a little weird. In order to find out more, we went to a biblical counseling conference, much like this one. Whoa, they were taking the Bible and practically applying it to the very questions I had been facing with patience all those years. They were talking about the Bible as truth and sufficient to treat things like anxiety, depression, addictions, anger, and much more. After all my experience working with hurting people, this was quite a revelation. Could it be that I had found the answers to all those unanswered questions? Well, seven years and lots of biblical study later, I'm here to tell you that the answer is yes. As J.O. talked about last night, the Bible is sufficient for soul care. I discovered that, in fact, those two words, biblical and counseling, do go together. And that the Bible does, in fact, have all kinds of practical counsel for suffering people. Let me illustrate that with a couple of examples. It was talked about earlier, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, or the unruly, it can also mean. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Have you ever rebuked a person who was discouraged? Was that helpful? Or encouraged someone who was unruly and lazy? Is that what they needed? Or turn to James 4.1. Do you know what causes fights and quarrels? It tells you there. How about a biblical response when someone in the church sins against you? Matthew 18 lays it out for you. If you want to chew on a chapter with all kinds of practical application, turn to Ephesians 4. It's been referred to any number of times. You'll see counsel about biblical change, edifying speech, anger, lying, stealing, so much more. So we see here briefly illustrated that the Bible does in fact address the real world, world problems that we all face. Let's go back to my patient who had been unfaithful. What did she really need? What would truly minister to her soul? Let's assume for a moment that she had saving faith and had confessed her transgression. What scripture would help her to understand that her transgression was forgiven and help her deal with her guilt and anxiety? If we look at Colossians 2, 13 through 14, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. If she truly understood that passage and its application to her life, do you think that would have been helpful for her? Do you think her anxiety would have been decreased? Do you think that would have helped more than Prozac? In terms of soul care, do you think a psychologist would have been able to offer anything that comes close? 
So let's talk about you. Do you want to be a counselor? Do you want to counsel others? Guess what? You are. If you attend a church or interact with coworkers or friends and you get to know them and their problems, you're going to say something to them about those problems. And that, my friends, is counsel. You are a counselor. So the, the question is not if you want to counsel, but what type of counsel you will give. We're back to the question that we asked at the beginning. When you want to help someone is hurting, where do you look to find truth and answers? Psychological theories are so much a part of our culture. Again, you might say we have a psychologized culture. Will your soul care be based on the godless theories of secular psychology? Or will you look for truth and answers in God's holy word, the Bible? Well, my patient needed a relationship with Jesus Christ, something it wasn't clear she truly had. And beyond that, she needed to confess her transgression to God and those she had hurt and receive the forgiveness found in Christ's gospel. For her, she didn't like the options, or I didn't like the other options, and I actually did my best to counsel her biblically. You will have to understand that's not an easy thing to do in a doctor's office and the constraints of a doctor visit. I suggested she speak with her pastor and confess the transgression to her husband, but she never did. She was too afraid of the worldly consequences of such a confession. As yet, she has not received the forgiveness that is available to her in Christ, and to this day still labors under the guilt of that one transgression. But we're still talking, and I pray that that will change someday. Today, I see mental illness in a much different light than I did 20 or 30 years ago. I've seen the shallowness of psychological treatments, and in contrast, the richness of scripture to address the soul problems that people are facing every day. I understand that the most basic problem we all have is what? Sin, and it's antidote, the gospel of Christ. And it has been a pleasure to begin to minister that truth to hurting people. So what about you? What kind of counsel will you give? Will you have the knowledge and skill to minister to those around you? Whether you become certified or actually do formal counseling is beside the point we're making now. You are a counselor. And the only question is what kind of counsel you will give. Will it be sound biblical counsel based on God's all-sufficient word? Or will it be based on the godless secular theories of psychology? Regardless of the method, I encourage you to pursue studying your Bible with an eye toward helping others. It is biblical truth that hurting people are desperate to hear. They may not realize they need this truth, but that doesn't change the fact that is what they need. You are able to counsel. In fact, you are a counselor. Learn and apply the truths found in the Bible to minister to hurting people. And the Father, we thank you for your all-sufficient word that is, in fact, everything we need for life and godliness. We are grateful for your precious and very great promises found there, and we pray that we, through them, could become partakers of your divine nature 
and escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In Christ's name, amen.